Welcome to The Innovative Executive, the show that helps you make innovation a priority in your business. Innovation strategy consultant Bella Rushi helps you rethink your business model, embrace collaboration, and leverage technology. If you want to drive innovation and bring new growth to your business, then stay tuned as she meets industry experts who share practical experience to help you unlock your innovation potential. And now, here's Bella Rushi. Welcome to the show. Today, my guest is Dr. Ruth Goshian. Ruth is a Chief Learning Officer. She has a Doctrine of Education, which focuses on organizational and leadership learning. She's a professor at Columbia University. She's also part of the Thinkers 50 radar list and a global speaker. Today, Ruth is here to talk about her new book, The Success Factor, Developing the Mindset and Skill Set for Peak Business Performance. Ruth, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I'm really excited to have you on the show. And um, I know we were talking a little bit in the beginning, but um, this is really exciting. I read your book. I loved it. And I wanted to start off by talking about, you know, you define the four important attributes of a high achiever in your book. And what caught my eye was really when you start speaking about intrinsically motivated, motivation is very important to success. And you also talk about success is a moving target. I love that. Can you explain around this uh, concept? Well, first of all, the success is a moving target. We have to realize that whatever you define as success is likely going to be different from my definition. We each have our own definition, but we never truly get there, do we? Right? We think we get there, but then there's always more to do. It was so fascinating that when I interviewed the Olympians, for example, so I interview extreme high achievers, right? Astronauts, Nobel Prize winners, Olympians. When I interviewed the Olympians and they got their gold medal, they said, you know, there was always more to do. There was always something else they wanted wanted to do. They didn't just quit after that. They continued. And that to me was so fascinating, so much so that whenever I asked to see their medals, they always said to me, oh, it's in a box. It's in a safe. One guy had it in his sock drawer. And I said, what do you mean it's not on display? They said, it's not about the medal. That's a chapter in my life. It's not the entire story. And that's because the success is a moving target. That was a goal, not the goal. And that really blends into what motivated them to do that. And with all extreme high achievers, it's what we call in adult learning intrinsic motivation. It's the motivation that comes from within. It's not what we call extrinsic motivation, the diplomas, the awards, the rewards, the medals. That's when other people are judging you. But when it comes from within, your passion, your purpose, and with extreme high achievers, I say it's their calling. It's what they were put on this earth to do. And when you can tap into that and figure that out, you are going to soar. So realize that success is definitely a moving target and the passion for it has to come from within. Yeah, I I totally love that. And definitely in organizations, I think companies that do have a purpose really end up doing well and, and they're able to survive in, in times like the pandemic, right? Because they had that purpose and it, it brings that quicker alignment of, of the culture and everyone together. It's tapping into their why. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. One of the mindsets in business 
we've seen is also like the fear of failure, which you mentioned in your book. And companies don't want to, not all companies, but some companies don't want to think about long-term R&D, long-term investments, or even really bold projects because they, they're scared of failing. They're scared of waiting that long and they don't know what's going to happen. So um, they basically just focus on short-term ROI. And what have you seen in your study about overcoming fear and being successful? Yeah, you know, some people fear failing and there are other people who fear success, right? That when you fear failing, you don't want to feel that failure. You don't want to feel that embarrassment. And when you fear success, it's what's going to happen. The imposter syndrome is going to kick in. I'm not even sure what I'm going to do with that. But the extreme high achievers, they're not afraid of failure. They're not afraid of success. They actually fear not trying more than they fear failing. They understand that with failure, there's a learning opportunity. And they are crystal clear on that. As long as nobody has died, right, because we have to keep it in perspective, there is a learning opportunity each and every time. But not trying means you're never going to move forward. You're never going to be innovative. You're always going to be stagnant and boring and average if you're not even trying. They have to try. They can't not try. So they take strategic risks, right? They do their homework. They understand the pushes and pulls and the, the benefits and the consequences. But they understand big risks, big rewards. And they try and they go for yeah. it. I like how you talk about it's it's more of fear of not trying. What what else can you share in terms of this topic? What what else can we say to them or or share with them that to get them to try, to get them to take that first step? Because, you know, telling them someone else did it is usually doesn't work. <laughs> Look, one of the things with extreme high achievers is that they work diligently to control what they can control. And they don't worry about the factors and variables that are not in their control. So, for example, Nicole Stott, she's one of the astronauts who I profiled in my book, The Success Factor. And she is an engineer. And she noticed that astronauts, most of their time is actually spent here on Earth. And she would see them walking in and out of NASA as she worked there. And she said, you know, I think I can do that. And it was her mentor who didn't try to talk her out of it who didn't tell her, oh, it's so competitive. He really helped her focus to control on what she can control. She couldn't control if she would be accepted. She couldn't control if she would be rejected because who knows what they're looking for. But the one thing she could control was filling out that application, and that's what she did. And it doesn't matter if you're an astronaut or an Olympian, it's always control what you can control and then fear not trying more than you fear failing. And it's worked for them repeatedly. You also write in your book, which I I loved and I, I talk about with my clients, is um, you wrote a statement saying your network is your net worth. So can you explain why this is important for business leaders to understand? Yeah. You know, everyone always asks me, how did you wind up meeting astronauts and Nobel Prize winners and Olympians and CEOs and senior government officials? And I would say over 95% of them were through referrals. It's when one person knows and they know what you're trying to work on and people know, like, and trust you, and they want to refer and recommend you to other people as well. And that's really what it came down to. I needed one Olympian, one astronaut, one Nobel Prize winner, 
and the rest just snowballed from there. People understood that. And as a result, my digital contact list is very, very deep and very, very influential. And that's really helpful because if I have a question, if I have a challenge, I now have people in almost every field, every industry that I can tap into. If I need a referral to an astronaut or a Nobel Prize winner or an Olympian or a CEO or a government official, I have people who know, like, and trust me and can happily refer me to those people. So what happens is when you start to surround yourself with these kind of people, your baseline for what is acceptable and what is successful becomes extremely different. In fact, most of the high achievers who I've spoken with and I interviewed did not consider themselves high achievers. And because I would call them up and I'd said, you know, you came up on my list as a high achiever. I'd like to interview you for this study. And they said, a high achiever? Me? I'm not a high achiever. And I would say, but you won the Nobel Prize. If you're not a high achiever, what does that say about the rest of us? One of the astronaut texted me and he said, will Dr. Fauci be at the book launch party? Because Fauci's, Dr. Fauci's featured in the book. And I said, well, you know, he's a little busy right now. We've got a pandemic going on. I said, but this Nobel Prize winner will be there. And he said, oh, Nobel Prize. Now that's a high achiever. And I'm thinking to myself, but you're an astronaut. You know, and as I'm thinking about this, I realize he is surrounded by astronauts. So for him, that's not exceptional. That's average. Right. So who you surround yourself with becomes your metric, your bar of excellence. So that's why you want to surround yourself with these kind of people. But you also want to surround yourself with very different people that can give you very, very different perspectives and continue to do that. You will learn so much. I tell people that my superpower is surrounding myself with people who are better than me, more brilliant than I am or will ever be. And I just sit there and listen. That's what you got to do. Be the least interesting person in the room. So I, I saw in your book, Dr. Fauci is referenced a lot. How did you get him? <laughs> to talk to you. <laughs> He's helping to run the country. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I have a lot of uh, very influential people and well-recognized names who are in the book. And I am blessed that they know, like, and trust me, that people who referred me to many of them know, like, and trust me, and that they trusted me with their stories. Because I told them, I'm not interested in what I can Google about you. I don't need to have an interview for that. That to me is the tip of the iceberg. That's not what I'm interested in. I am much more interested in what's below the waterline, what it took to get there. That's the journey I want to focus on. And most people, that's not what they focus on. They focus on their medals and their achievements. I wasn't interested in that. You can Google that. I want to know what it took to get there. And there are that is such an incredible story for each and every one. And if it's Fauci or eight-time NBA champion Steve Kerr or Maxine Clark, the founder and CEO of Build-A-Bear Workshop, it's all the same thing with the same elements. And that's when I realized that an astronaut is just like an Olympian. And if that's the case, success can be learned. And if success can be learned, I'm an adult educator and I can teach it. And that's why I just reversed engineered the process, created a blueprint, 
wrote the book, The Success Factor, and go all over the world to talk about it. What a, congratulations. You do have really cool uh, folks in your book that you talk about. But yes, I was surprised to see so many references with Dr. Fauci. And I said, oh my God, she must have met him more than one, one occasion because there are a lot of references about him. It's an incredible story. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to go and jump into, you know, culture, which is something that we talk about in organizations a lot, right? That's one of sometimes an inhibiting factor. If the company's not successful, there's some struggle, there's some misalignment happening. What can you share about improving issue of alignment in culture and finding the right talent or nurturing them in an organization? So this is actually a real pet peeve of mine where I think globally we are so focused on benchmarks, but benchmarks are average. Who wants average? Who wants average? And think about the performance appraisals that we have, right? If they're on a scale of one to five, if you have a three, you are meeting expectations. Good for you. Everyone leaves you alone. If you're a four, a high potential, or a five, a high achiever, oh, you are exceeding expectations. Fabulous. And again, the organization leaves you alone. But if you fall below three, below average, then you are not meeting expectations. And that's when things start to happen. That's when you get a corrective action plan. That's when a supervisor or somebody with authority actually checks in with you to hold you accountable. You are sent to courses and workshops to learn and refine new skills. This is what happens when you're below average. Why are we not doing those things for people who are above average? Why are we not sending them to places to expand their horizon and learn new skills? Why are we not giving them attention and different assignments? Imagine if we spend resources on the high achievers like we do on the low achievers. Imagine what could happen. And during this time of this great resignation when people are walking out the door, You want to hold on to those high achievers because you know what's going to happen? If the high achievers continue to see that the low achievers are the ones who are getting the money and the resources, they're going to leave. And at best, the organization is going to be left with average employees at best. At worst, below average. Now, if we start giving the attention and the resources to the high achievers, who do you think their friends are? Other high achievers. So you will retain the ones you have You start recruiting more of them. Imagine what that now does to your baseline. It's like being surrounded by astronauts, right? That becomes the new normal, the high achievement. But there are ways to retain these groups and actually to motivate them and help them grow and remember their why. And really, it's about shifting our attention to the people who are thinking bigger and greater and being more innovative. These are not the people that need a constant check-in to hold themselves accountable. Trust me, they are going to get the job done. They may not do it during standard nine to five hours, but they will get the job done. So why are we not giving them the greater flexibility? Why aren't we giving them the stretch assignments? Why aren't we asking them, what skills do you think you need, Bella, in order to learn something new? What is something that you wanted to learn? How can I send you to someplace that you would actually benefit from? Now, if we start doing that, this is going to be the place to work and talk about culture. You have now created a culture of excellence within your organization where mediocrity is not tolerated. 
and your recruitment plan is to recruit more high potentials and high achievers. Imagine what that will do to your organization. That's a really great perspective. And uh, it kind of brings back memories of uh, working in corporate myself. Uh, you know, great is just like you say, do you get a three or a five <laughs> to get a higher bonus? <laughs> But I, I do remember that, you know, not a lot of uh, departments, I, I don't want to say the organization itself, not a lot of departments took the high achievers and sent them to another specialty workshops. They didn't do more. They just left it as, oh, you did great. You exceeded expectations. And here's the next project. You're rewarded. Good work is rewarded with more work. Yeah. Like you said, there's there's some struggle and there's not a lot of new innovations or new developments happening or motivation is, is not there. But speaking of opposite of, I wanted to go into, you wrote in your book about a story by Scott Hamilton, the Olympic gold medalist, uh, figure skating. And I didn't know this until I, that you wrote <laughs> about him and, and it was so interesting. I didn't know he was a free skater also. And actually, I didn't know the difference between those two, free skating and figure skating and what it really means and the way you defined it. So you talk about a lack of weakness. So I read the story. Can you share this story with the audience and also tell us why lack of biz, a lack of weakness is important to confront for business leaders? Absolutely. So Scott Hamilton, for those who don't know, he won the gold medal in men's figure skating at the Olympics in 1984. It was the first time in nearly a quarter of a century that an American won the gold medal. And at that time, there's the free skate, but there's also what is called the figure skate, where you create this figure eight with your skates. But the way you have to go on this figure eight, if you are off-centered or off-balance even a little bit, on your blade, it, you actually mess up and you get a points deduction. And for those who know Scott Hamilton, he is this free spirit. I mean, he was known for doing backflips on the ice, right? And to do something so precise like that, that was, he said, his area of weakness. And that is where he kept losing points. And he decided he was going to work his butt off to perfect that skill. He was going to learn to love it. And he actually, he was saying he would get the ice for three hours every morning, half the ice, and he would work just on that one skill over and over and over again until he learned to actually love them. And when he won the Olympics at the end, it was actually a tie score. And it was a... Uh, tie score and the way the tie is broken is based on the the figure skating and he won because he learned to take his weakness and turn it into a positive and it's about what are the things that we don't like doing and how can we get so good at it that it becomes our strength and we learn to love it and that is easily in any organization in any job in any industry that is something that we can do. That's a great story. It really resonated with me and I, I really enjoyed that. We're coming to uh, time at the end of the show. I wanted to ask you one last question. What made you pursue the topic of studying high achievers and, and why is this important to you? I've always loved studying high achievers because I really thought that success was for other people, people who were born into a certain type of family. And where I worked... I was 
I knew several Nobel Prize winners, and I quickly realized they're just like the rest of us. They just did something magical. And where I was working, I was running an MD-PhD program, and this program has a 3.5% acceptance rate. It's the best of the best. Yet people, after all this training and all this competition, would leave, leave what we call the leaky pipeline, leave the workforce, leave the profession. And I was part of those discussions, but I was more interested in the people on the other end of the spectrum, those whose work was so incredible. And I kept thinking, how can we make more of those people? So at the age of 43, while working full time and raising my family, I went back to school to study this. And my original research on success was on physician scientist. And once I found the four elements of success with the physician scientist, I was curious, this is after I got my doctorate, if the same would hold true for other extreme high achievers. And that's when the astronauts and Olympians and NBA stars all came into play. And once I started, I just couldn't stop. So I'm always, always talking to extreme high achievers and I'm loving it. And this is great. Ruth, thank you so much for being on the show today. Uh, this was a, a great insight. Thank you. Very nice to have you, Ruth. Thank you again. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Innovative Executive with Bella Rushi, founder of Symmetry Consulting, a firm that specializes in helping companies embed innovation into their company. If you liked this episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Also, make sure to check out Bella's book, The Innovative Executive, leading intelligently in the age of disruption. Join us for the next episode to further unlock your innovation potential.